Nothing discussed with Dr. Alexander Bivens in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Well, aloha, everyone, and welcome to another conversation from anxiety to clarity. I'm Beth Ann Koslovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala, and Evan Leong of Brain Gain Hawaii, my colleague Trisha Kajimura at Sutter Health Kahimohala, and I have created this series of informal conversations, and our hope is that it will help all of us to move through this very stressful time that has had lots of different phases, and that these informal chats about mental health with mental health professionals around our state will provide some help and hope as we all negotiate COVID-19. Now, depending on where you live in Hawaii, you have already seen or will soon see see many more businesses open up and experience services that you weren't able to get before, be able to go to public places and places of worship, restaurants, all of that obviously with some measures of safety put into place. And uh, Hawaii is really trying to normalize itself again with all those safety precautions. Especially now we're looking at travel inter-island that may soon have the 14-day quarantine dropped and plans are being made for what happens when the state rolls open to tourism, probably in July. Now, Hawaii's recovery model is focusing on economy, obviously on the economy, and a lot on physical health. But a lot of people are saying that what's really missing is some serious conversation about mental health for our first responders, for healthcare staff, well, for just about everyone. And noting that that's missing, there are many who believe that a mental health crisis is growing, albeit quietly. Now, earlier this month, we saw four suicides within a week in Kauai. And although no one can say for sure whether those suicides were directly related to what's happening with the pandemic and the effects of it, there are still a lot of stark facts about Kauai that now come more clearly into focus, including the fact that the county has the highest suicide rate per capita in Hawaii, and that among youth 10 to 24, I'm sorry, 15 to 24, one in 11 will attempt suicide annually. So today we're gonna to focus on suicide, the role of culture, the stigma attached to asking for help, and society's somewhat tacit acceptance of risk factors. Dr. Alex Bivens is a psychologist who works with adolescents and adults across Hawaii. He specializes in helping people to recover from even the most serious kinds of traumatic experiences and go on to live lives that are rewarding and meaningful. And Dr. Bivens joins me now. Hi there, Alex. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? How is your family? Doing all right also. Busier than usual, which is very, very busy, but, um, but grateful to be healthy and grateful that uh, Kauai in particular has done such a wonderful job with managing the contagion. And I'm also happy for the state of Hawaii in general for all the positive leadership and positive participation from the community. That is the, that is the reason we're not stricken with... Um, an overly large number of cases. That really is rewarding to see that people understand that. And we've seen the recent polls that say that people are more concerned about public health than they are about restarting an economy that we know is, is so uh, 
deeply, deeply rooted in tourism. So that I think has been a very good thing for us and says that our values are in, in the right place in a lot of ways, but we don't want to not look at things that are economically based because we have a lot of people who are still greatly out of work with no prospects. And that's also playing into the mental health issues that we've been talking about now for some time. But you're right, Kauai has done a stellar job. And Mayor Kawakama just was wonderful in the way he approached it. And people fell behind him and understood why and why we see things now opening up on Kauai even before other counties have been able to do that. All that said, yeah, he, now I was just going to ask actually, you, you know, how, how yeah. you feel about that living there because we're looking at it from the outside, but you're really there. Well, living here, you know, so I love the community on Kauai. I also love the broad community of Hawaii statewide. Um, you know, the, the Hawaiian way of life, um, the, the, the values uh, that place family first. Uh, we really care about each other in our small communities here. And I really think that that's reflected in how well we've done as a state um, in terms of the COVID crisis. Um, it's also the case that, um, that Kauai in particular, the small community where we really do care about each other. We know each other. We care about each other. And I think that that is something that Mayor Kawakami was able to take advantage of very, very early, very, very responsive. And in terms of his leadership style, he's made himself quite vulnerable, hasn't he? He's done these videos where he's very expressive about, hey, this is really hard for me. And I know it's hard for you. And, you know, I know a lot of you and I want to take care of you, you know, and he's saying all these things that, you know, rather than sort of coming down on high, he, he, he's leading from amongst us. And I think that that uh, is very, very effective on Kauai. Um, he certainly was a great role model in that where he wasn't trying to tell people things. He was leading by example. And we know the show me rather than tell me is one of the best ways of getting people to follow you. And that's a hallmark of, of servant leadership. That's right. So let's that's talk right. a little bit about what you're seeing now. You mentioned that you're really, really busy and busier than usual. Not a big stretch of the imagination why that might be so, but what exactly are you seeing in, in broader terms with both the, the, the adolescents and the adults that you've been working with? Right, and so um, some of my answers will surprise you and I wanna be careful because I'm only seeing a snapshot. Um, and, and however, I think it's a very instructive snapshot. So keeping in mind that I'm only seeing a sliver of everything that's going on, um, seeing several different things. The first thing I want to say is that regarding my active caseload, folks that I've been working with for a number of months already, those folks seem to be doing quite well. And so I have not seen an increase in problems among folks who may have had been having problems, you know, some months ago when they came into therapy for the different reasons. Um, but I'm not seeing a tremendous amount of increase of those problems. And I'm going to tell you that, uh, well, we'll get back to that. So how's this? With my active caseload that was active prior to COVID, I'm not seeing an increase in problems. That's great, also, actually, to hear. It's great. It's absolutely great. And I think we can learn from that. Um, among adolescents, it's interesting um, because, uh, because I take a lot of adolescent referrals and it is the case that a lot of adolescents have basically gotten some um, easing up of the school pressure. 
And so school is no longer bearing down on them. And uh, so I wouldn't say that I've seen a spike in problems among adolescents. Okay, so, so there's two, two groups in a row where I'm not seeing negative effects. The third group are folks who um, had not sought out therapy previously and maybe never have in their life, but have found themselves, for example, out of work, uh, detached from their normal sort of social environment, folks who used to like to go out to eat or go out to bars and restaurants for socialization purposes, um, folks that don't necessarily have the largest family or extended family around them suddenly find themselves not doing well. And so this third group of folks, I do think is definitely experiencing more stress as a result of COVID. So now let's go back to the beginning and talk about my active caseload, the folks that were already in therapy prior to COVID breaking out. I think that what had, the reason that they have not had increased stress is because they've already been attuned to active problem solving in their life, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be part and parcel of most kinds of counseling and psychotherapy that you would seek out. Mm -hmm. And so, sure, COVID comes along, but it's really just another challenge to face from an active coping perspective. And it seems like those folks have done a fine job of making the adjustments, you know, and look, applying for unemployment and even getting on Quest Insurance sometimes because their insurance from their work has run out and, you know, applying for the uh, stimulus check. And all of these measures, I want to be clear, are, are, are insufficient. This, this isn't the same as having a job, but it's something. And it makes them feel like they're, you know, they're acting coping. on their problem. They're coping actively, exactly. They're taking action on their own behalf. They're, they're intentionally attempting to make their life better. Um, we talked about the adolescence and the school pressure, and that's probably a topic for another, another day. Like, why is school a stressor on young people? And We could do hours to, on that one, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Is there a better way of doing that and so on? We can look at that another time. But this third group is, is interesting to me, and I want to talk a little bit more about it. Um, for a number of the folks that have come in recently, I do feel like it's not just that they got shocked out um, as a result of losing their job or you know, finding themselves isolated. I actually feel like there were some problems happening before, but they were doing good enough to get along, and they were settling for kind of good enough, um, not so great, but good enough, and um, not really taking care of themselves the way they potentially could. And, and this is something that I would love for us to talk about, is how we as a society sort of seem to have a lot of acceptance for problems that, in my opinion, in the modern world, are unnecessary. And these problems that, as you say, people were somehow you know, masking by various behaviors or believing that, eh, it's okay, everybody must be like this, until COVID-19 really exacerbated them enough to where they felt this is not okay. And whether they're seeking help, luckily for those who are seeking help, but a lot who are not. And it seems that third group is the group that many people are greatly concerned about. Uh, even if they were doing well, but all of a sudden something has happened in their lives with this, where they feel their mortality or a threat or, or concern for other people 
maybe they are also now unemployed, all those things. That third group is really the group that a lot of us worry about. So let's talk about some of those issues that have been masked so far that maybe we need to unmask now and look at in full light so that perhaps we can help more people and, and also head off whatever may be coming down next because the truth is we really don't know. That's right. And so I really would like to do that. And, 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 the, and there's some very specific areas that I would love to talk about. Um, Mason Chalk is a, a, a community leader on Kauai and he's done some really wonderful work around suicide. And he's able to talk about how he feels like there are certain cultural issues that happen in Hawaii on Kauai that can make us more vulnerable to suicide problems. And I, 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 would, I would love to share some of my own ideas on this, actually. Well, and I would um, like so to talk to you about that, because you know we yeah. always hear about Kauai. You know, Kauai right. and the statistics and all the rest of that, even when I was talking to, you know, Southern President, and saying a hello during with session opening, he says, I know, I know, Kauai, I know. And he said, we deeply feel this. But the question is deeply feeling it and then being able to move it to something better. And, right. and I think that's, that's what you're really alluding to in what we need to look at right now, yeah. It, it is, and, and so, so we can look, for example, at risk factors. And the way that our, our culture here um, in some ways I feel is a little bit too accepting of risk factors. So I want to be very clear about this. The culture on Kauai, the community here is absolutely wonderful. And I love it so much. And we really do know each other and we really do care about each other. There's so many strengths here. So where are these weaknesses? Well, a couple of different things. When we think about um, risk factors, one risk factor, of course, would be something like substance abuse. And, you, you know, well, whose responsibility is substance abuse? Well, that's an interesting question, right? So each of us wants to look at our own habits, but substance abuse is also something that happens in a social setting frequently. And I wonder about how much tolerance we have for that. You know, is someone who has a drinking problem, is it funny? Is it something to, uh, you know, talk, um, you know, gossipy about? Or is it something that, but yet still tolerate somehow? Or is there a way that we could be a little bit more um, affirmative of healthier attitudes towards substance abuse? Um, another example would be depression. You know, so somebody's really down and out. What are we doing about that person that we know is having a hard time? Now, the Coconut Wireless is this wonderful network of communication that we have in Hawaii. And it's, uh, it's, it's useful, it's fun to participate in. I would love to see a shift in the coconut wireless, just a tiny little shift towards a little bit more of a helping orientation and a little bit less of a talking smack or, um, you know, uh, a gossip orientation. Yeah. Right, I, 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 would love to see, I would love to see some shifts in the coconut wireless where, you know, when something gets reported, um, in, in the coconut wireless fashion, that the conversation be sort of naturally, culturally turned towards, well, what sort of help can we offer this person? What sort of lifeline could we throw to this person? Um, you know, but, so, something yeah. like that. Yeah, Alex, though, that takes a great deal of courage and you know, personal fortitude and a willingness to step away from some long traditions 
of being snarky, of talking smack about somebody, of thinking it's funny, and also, you know, generational acceptance of drinking as something that you do. I mean, look at all the commercials on TV where, you know, they drink responsibly, but they really want to sell you some stuff. And, right. and everything else that we can put in, I don't mean to just level this at alcohol, but other things too that have just become so socially acceptable as part of gatherings and fun that, you know, rolling that back to real deep concern and leveraging that in a way to be helpful to people uh, is going to take a great deal of bravery. I think that's true. I also want you to know that I think it's possible. One of the themes that I, I experienced just living in Hawaii is that people want to help. People are very, very generous in their, in their desire to help one another. And I think sometimes we don't know when we're not helping, you know, and, and so, you know, calling out the coconut wireless to be more helpful, I think is something that's an interesting idea that I would love to see sort of take hold just a little bit. And I do believe this can start with individuals. Anybody who's listening to this can start just thinking about what they would say the next time they hear something on the coconut wireless that would be a little bit more helpful as opposed to feeding negative uh, social consequences for the person being talked about. That seems Some to be times, something that, that, that Mayor Kawakami you know, squarely fits into as well in the way he has handled the COVID crisis. And if that could be leveraged in a greater way, I mean, you might be very well set up to do something that perhaps the, the rest of Hawaii could follow. I really feel that way. And I feel that his, 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 his expression of his own vulnerability and some of, the own some of his own challenges that he's facing and you know, some of the difficulty he has making a mask or something like that in some of the more famous videos he's made. You know, all of that I think creates this, this, um, this acceptance of our own humanity that I think is really important. Um, yeah. you know, when, I think about, when I think about the risk factors, that include things like obviously depression, people who just aren't doing well and having a hard time emotionally. Uh, we talked about the substance abuse. Also, I think about relationship problems. And, I, and, and one of the things that, that culturally that I'm concerned about also is not only do we seem to have acceptance for other people having problems, but we also don't seem to seek help for our own problems. And I'm not sure where this comes from. Um, but there seems to be this sort of, I'm not sure if it's some kind of pride or something where folks feel like if they ask for help, that this is some type of negative thing. And I would really love to see that change around. You know, whenever you think of human beings doing really, really big things, whenever you think of human beings accomplishing a lot, including uh, Mayor Kawakami, actually, great example here. So, so he's clearly the star. He is the mayor. He's the center of attention. There's no question about that. But on virtually every broadcast he makes, he's always doing what? He's thanking someone who, what? Who helps him do his job. He would be the very first person, I'm sure, to admit that he can't do all of this on his own. All of the measures he's taken, all of the cooperation he's gotten from KPD and everybody else requires the help of this enormous staff of people in his own staff and other agencies at the county and from community members. He totally feels helped and I think he feels very comfortable asking folks for help. That's a lot of times what he's doing. So he's really a great role model about asking for help. 
Well, certainly but because I, there's been so much shame around that. And right. in, in our culture, that is such a mix of cultures that have some very distinct ideas about shame. And right. this is not just in Hawaii, certainly. I mean, I, I know that when my parents were having problems, that seeking out help was tantamount to saying that, you know, one or both of you might be crazy. And that was not right. something, you know, acceptable at, at all. Um, and yet some little bits of help could have been so, so important in their lives and consequently in mine. But for where we are right now, how do we leverage some of the really great things that we've talked about with Mayor Kawakami, with some of the things that you are seeing, um, all of these ideas about destigmatizing and ask for help, destigmatizing whatever may be causing the problem that you need to ask help of someone to, to get you over or get through or find better coping mechanisms, all of that seems to be so interesting in a way and, and almost ironic because we've had this health culture for such a long time, but it's been so squarely focused on, on physical health, you know, looking good, feeling good, all that. But the feeling good was really a matter of, of, of pride in body as opposed to pride in mind. And, and I'm wondering what you see as a conduit to get to a better place so that hopefully we don't see the kind of suicide statistics on Kauai or anywhere that, that we've been seeing, especially in this climate of COVID and not knowing what may really come next, despite whatever the state may think it's going to be rolling out or the county's doing independently. Right. Well, it's a great question. And I think that culturally, some of the things that I've seen be very successful are folks who have a very common sense attitude about, first of all, needing help, right? So if your car breaks down, it's good to find somebody who can fix your car for you. Um, you know, if, uh, if something is, you know, if your pipes start leaking at your house, well, you get those things fixed by someone that knows what they're doing, preferably a plumber. Um, you know, and, and if things aren't going well inside your own mind and you're starting to feel like you're losing it, first, the first thing you want to know is this, cars break down, pipes sometimes leak, and oh, your mind sometimes gets bent out of shape. These are all just commonplace things and they can all be fixed in the modern world. Plumbers are highly trained professionals. They can fix literally everything that goes wrong with the pipes in your house. Uh, we have lots and lots of very well qualified mental health professionals that know exactly what to do when your mind gets bent out of shape. And there's all sorts of options that include, you know, psychologists, LS, LCSWs. Also, you can get a, a, a more medical solution if you feel that taking medication could be a help. All of these things can help. So there's this whole spectrum of, uh, of, of help that's available, actually, very, very readily available. And the idea that you wouldn't get your tire fixed doesn't make any sense. The idea that you would let a leak go on in your house, that doesn't make any sense. And I wouldn't want somebody who's having problems inside their mind to let that continue. If you've got a drinking problem or a drug problem, there are free 12-step meetings every day all over all of the islands, you know, and as well as professional treatment facilities that are probably covered by the insurance that you have, whether it's Quest or, uh, or PPO or whatever kind of insurance. Similarly with relationship problems, you know, this is one of my biggies, actually. If you've got all sorts of problems in your relationships, in the, in the modern world, this is unnecessary. Human beings have figured out how relationships work. And there are lots of licensed marital family therapists, psychologists, other people 
that know a lot about how to help relationships. There's even quality information available in churches now. A lot of the churches locally have programs that are actually quite good, uh, that support folks in developing better marriages, better family, uh, family uh, ties, better family, family communication, all of these things. So I would love to see a common sense attitude brought to the general realm of mental health functioning. You know, if things aren't going well, uh, let's get somebody in here who knows what to do and give us the help we need to carry it forward on our own. Once my tire's fixed, I can do the driving on my own, but right, right. Uh, I'm not going to get but, very far on a flat tire. And it doesn't make sense to drive on a tire that isn't really where it needs to be. It's really important right. to get those things fixed. But I mean, there's sort of a presumption in that argument too, that someone can actually realize that for a lot of people who are so far down the rabbit hole, either because of substance abuse, organic mental illness, combinations of both, who knows, there may not even be an appropriate diagnosis. And they just feel that there is no hope. And obviously we have lots of people who are doing outreach and trying to, to make that case. But there has to be something within someone, don't you think, that allows them to move in that direction. And that's, that's the part that worries me the most because it, it's not just people who are at the lower socioeconomic end of things as we like to pigeonhole. It can be people wherever and just that's having right. that, old, you know, that old cold stone that they carry around with them and maybe putting a smile on the outside and then something terrible happens. And whether it's a child presenting in an ER because that child has tried to commit suicide or an adult, something that didn't take them to the path of asking for help. And those are the people I think I worry about the most. And I'm wondering if you think that there is a way of being able to address that subset of people who are now really discovering that they are, are not feeling the way they would like to, or who may not even realize that they really do need help. How, how do we handle that situation? Yeah, you know, that's a, just a terrific question. And, and one thing that, that occurs to me is that we want to be really good bystanders, okay? We don't want to be the kinds of bystanders that don't take any action. We want to be the kinds of bystanders or friends uh, or relatives that go ahead and make the more difficult decision to, to get people connected, people who need it connected. Um, driving on the way to my office this morning, I saw something that I thought might be a domestic situation happening on the street, and it wasn't. But I did slow down and take a look at it just to make sure that the woman was okay. They weren't even arguing, actually. They were sort of, I guess, playing with each other. They were having a little bit of fun on the, on the sidewalk. But at first, when I saw it, of course, being you know, the kind of problems that I usually see, I thought it might be a domestic situation. So I just slowed down for a minute. And I'm not sure exactly what I would have done if it was a domestic situation. I certainly would have let the guy know that I'm watching him. I might have called 911 if it was, you know, out of control. Um, you know, the point is, is that I like to think that, you know, as a citizen, as a community member, we want to be good bystanders. We want to be folks who don't just let folks have problems without doing something about it. And, um, and I think that each of us can, can think in our lives, who do we know? that might benefit from some help? And would we know how to get help for somebody uh, that needed help, right? And so I do think that everyone needs to know that Hawaii has a wonderful crisis line. And there's something else that you should know about crisis lines, by the way, crisis lines work. 
the reason we have crisis lines is that they really do work. Um, they have trained folks on the other end, and in Hawaii, we get a coordinated response. Not all states have a coordinated response related to their crisis line, but our crisis line is designed with specific dedicated professionals who also work within the healthcare network to connect people on a longer-term basis. So as crisis lines go, it's actually quite a good one. The number for it is 823-3100. And um, that's 823-3100. And I think everybody should carry that in their wallet because who would you call if you found yourself at a luau and suddenly realized there's someone who's had something too much to drink and is now you know, threatening suicide and having all of these problems, would you know who to call? And who to call is 823-3100 and they would be able to coordinate a response that could get that person not just immediate help, but also help uh, into the future. Alex, um, I hear you asking people to really risk something in doing that because particularly here in Hawaii, there are a lot of people who say, you know, it's not my business. I'm not going to go there. That family needs to take care of itself. I shouldn't put my nose in where it doesn't belong on and on and on. But I hear you say, yeah, you need to put your nose in a little bit and, and not necessarily to be your brother's keeper or sister's keeper, but to be willing to ask a question and be willing to, to risk a rebuff or worse. I mean, I can tell you that I was not that long ago in a supermarket. I mean, this is pre-COVID. And a mom was really berating her kid. And it just, it, I mean, I, at first I walked down the aisle and then I just couldn't take it. And I said, you know, maybe you might want to calm down a little bit. And the woman called me a, a nasty name. And, right. and I was okay with that. I was really okay with that because somehow she then knew that her behavior was observed by somebody else. And it wasn't the kind of behavior that a lot of us would like to see. Now, obviously she knows her kid and I know her kid was acting out and all that. I have, you know, I've had three boys. I know what acting out looks like. That's right. But there's a line that you can cross if you're not careful and if you don't have somebody else just say, hey, you know, wait a minute, take a breath. It, it's, it's all right. You know, this is part of being a kid or this is part of this or, you know, don't horribleize it so much that you can't begin to disentangle the part that's really upsetting you as opposed to everything else that, you know, my, my uncle, who was a psychologist, said, you know, quit loading the basket, Beth Ann, quit loading the basket. And what's, what, what's really going on here? And that for me was very helpful as a child. And for the, the people that I've seen who are not doing terribly well, but again, being willing to, to risk that and saying, it's okay if they call me a name, it's okay if they think that I'm putting my nose in where it doesn't belong, at least they know that in a way I care about them. That's I think correct. that's what you're asking. Well, it definitely is exactly what I'm asking. And I want, I want, I want all of us to think about this. I just don't think I've ever lived in such a helpful community. So I moved here 20 years ago and I moved from the mainland and I've lived all over the mainland and I've just never lived in a place where so many people are so helpful to so many other people. Yeah. I mean, there is free food available today all over this island and there has yeah. been for months. This is incredible to me. Okay, there's so many people. We've got fishermen giving away fish. We've got, you know, schools emptying their freezers from the cafeteria. We've got hotels feeding their employees for free. This is how we roll in Hawaii. 
And so I feel that, that the idea of connecting someone with a service that they might not want in the moment, we have to remember that. When someone is experiencing some of those high risk factors, maybe they are contemplating suicide, that person may not make a lot of sense. It's a little bit like approaching a drowning person. You know, you probably know, you have to be quite careful about that. It's best if you have a flotation device because, or, or if you're a trained lifeguard, that's fine. But lifeguards get trained for the fact that people who are drowning will not do the logical thing. They will actually do things that make it more likely that they'll drown. It's, it's a dangerous situation. And possibly make you, you drown too, yeah. Exactly, you have to know what you're doing. Um, although once you know what you're doing, it, it's, it's not hard to, in, in other words, we, we know, lifeguards know how to save drowning people. And so I'm now gonna train everybody how to, how to, how to save somebody who's drowning in a, in a mental health problem, okay? And what it is is that you can't always take their advice. They're gonna tell you, no, I don't wanna to talk to nobody. No, I don't wanna to talk to some doctor or no, I don't want you telling my pastor or a native Hawaiian practitioner. No, don't tell my family. You know, no, don't call the crisis line. Okay, well, I want everybody to understand this. That's normal for somebody who's not doing very well. They're not gonna be good at accepting help. If they were good at accepting help, they wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. So, so, so your lifeguard training is, you may have to make the call. You may have to call the crisis line. And if you call the crisis line about an adolescent, for example, that can get help for that adolescent. Now, getting help for an adult is a little more difficult. What that means is you have to dial the phone for the adult and then do a, do a conference call with the adult there. And that is technically, by the way, how that's done. Um, but it'll still work. And sure enough, you're gonna get some resistance. And sure enough, you might get some short-term negativity. But Here's the big thing that I want everybody to understand. I've been practicing as a licensed psychologist for 20 years. I don't actually know how many people I've worked with that have gone from the brink of suicide into leading useful, helpful, wonderful lives. But it's hundreds of people. And I'm sure this is true for you too. When you're one of the people who has seen the recovery, who has seen what can happen, Somebody feels that their entire life is over and they start working with the person that knows how to help them. They will come around and understand that life has so much to offer them. Virtually every problem under the sun is temporary in one sense or another, while the promise of life is eternal. And once a person can experience that, they're so grateful. If you're the person that makes that difficult call for another person and they're angry at you in the moment, you're gonna end up being the person that they love the most for the life that they'll eventually recover because they got the help they needed. And that's, an ex that's something that I want everybody who's listening to this to know about. And it's of course what keeps people like you and me involved in the profession the way we are because it's so rewarding to be able to be that person for that somebody. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, kids and when you talk about timing and how problems are viewed by adults as being temporal. But for kids, that's really tough because it's hard for them to see into next week or maybe to Christmas, let alone to the rest of their lives and how they might get help for that. And having seen in the media a, a lot of, in some ways, glorification of suicide or at least a, a focus on it in certain ways that have people debating whether this is really helpful or not to be talking about it. Also some you know, pretty public suicides that we've seen. The idea being that, well, if this person can do it and they had all of this and they had 
you know, financial success and they had great wealth and fame. And if they can do it well, then maybe that's okay for me. Kids don't really know how to see kind of, you know, beyond some of that. And so I'm especially concerned about children and teens. And we are seeing kids in, in you know, single digits, kids who are seven, nine in our state who have committed suicide. And, and it just, you know, as a parent, it breaks my heart. I want to rewind, you know, the film. I want to be able to stop it and, and, and put it in a different place. And, and we can't. But we can try to save other people. We can try to put out some good information so that parents understand it. Because very often, uh, I've heard from docs who have said, you know, when parents really get that there's a problem, when the kid is presenting in the ER or something terrible has happened, or they voice something that is really shocking. But there's been all of these signs that have been leading up to it that if people were really, you know, Akamai, they would, they would pick up on, but we're busy and, and things go right by us. And that's a, a hard balance to strike. And I'm, I'm wondering what advice you would have, particularly for, for parents who are dealing with adolescents I, or, I, and, I, or parents I, who have 20s or 30-year-old people in their family. Yeah. I, I do have I do have some advice and and the first thing is that you're absolutely right about younger people having a sort of unique kind of risk profile because it is so hard for them to see past next week right so if they're unpopular on Instagram this week it's the end of their life everything right. is over now of course adults know that these things go up and down and the popularity will come back and it's it'll all sort of be normal within a couple of weeks probably. But for the young person, this can be overwhelming in the moment. And so we have to be careful of the intensity of the moment. Um, nothing needs to be solved right this minute. There's a lot of time left in life that we can use to address problems and so on. So that's certainly something. And as far as the mindset around risk factors, so you're absolutely right. When one of these things happen, Almost always what people will say is, oh my gosh, there were some signs. You know, there were some indications. I actually did know that they had this problem or that problem or they had said a few things. So how do we, how do we work with that? Because of course we are busy. And the way I like to think about it again is a very, very common sense approach. You know, if you're driving along and the car's actually moving pretty well, but you hear a noise that isn't right and it's a rattle, and there's something that's, you know, something's happening in the engine and something's hammering there some, somewhere. The engine's not supposed to sound like that. It really makes a lot of sense to bring that car in. You know, something's going wrong and it might be nothing. That's important. It's maybe, maybe just a tiny little adjustment. Um, and in fact, you can save yourself a lot of time and money if you do take your car in when it's rattling. Because usually it is just a little thing that they'll adjust. Quick little adjustment, put the car back on the road and it's fine. So many mental health problems are like that. You know, a lot of times all folks need is a little acknowledgement or a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of re reframing, we call it in our business. I don't want to use too much lingo, but there are techniques that can be used in one or two sessions in a psychologist's office that will uh, really resolve the problem almost altogether. It's almost like getting that car back on the road. Uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And of course, if you keep driving with the rattle and it turns out that your overhead cams are getting jammed by the pistons and that's what's causing the rattle, well, if you, you know, eventually your engine will stop working and now you have to get all new rebuilt engine and that's going to cost you a couple thousand bucks and who knows how long the car will be in the shop. The idea to me is to, if you notice some problems, 
get the help you need to solve the problems. And I can't emphasize enough how much I feel like that help can be, you know, obviously you and I are, are in the helping field. And so we're always going to think about the professional answers that we know work and they really do work. Um, they're, they're readily available. It's not hard to get connected with a mental health professional. Um, and we can talk about ways of doing that actually. It's also true that connecting with an uncle, connecting with an auntie, connecting with a pastor at a church or a native Hawaiian practitioner, there are a lot of social solutions that can make a big difference. Um, in, but what I'm in, really hearing you say is, is just to say, to re, this makes me think of something that I was told as a child, which was, um, and I'm gonna paraphrase Lao Tzu, handle it when it's small. Yes. Just handle it when it's small, because yes. the, the way that it usually goes is to something bigger. It's not going to suddenly, you know, instantly resolve itself, particularly when we're talking about issues of, of mental health or your car or your plumbing, right. you know, in your house. That's right. that's, yeah. it, it's usually going to get worse. So, but that's a very logical thought. And so blending the fact that you've got to have, you know, some logic in some part of this, if you can, but when you move over that line and you may not be able to see it, I'm also hearing you say, have other people, you know, be, be hopefully in that fortunate view that have other people paying attention to you too who are willing to take the risk and help you. And, well, and the, role of, the role of other people is really important, right? So the research really clearly shows that one person can make a difference. And so when we, when we look at crises that were resolved successfully, what we usually find is that there's at least one caring person who went out of their way on behalf of another person to make sure they got the help that they needed. And uh, the research clearly shows that that one person is actually all you need. And each of us, all of us eventually mm -hmm. are going to be that one person. You may come to a point where you realize that one person for this particular person that no one else is talking to right now, I am that person. I am that person's lifeline, you know, and, and you want to acknowledge that and go ahead and, and, and do that work, which is just to stay connected, listen to the person and do everything you can to connect them with the help that they need. I love that. Just really underlining, underscoring in, you know, bright, bright colors, the power of one. So many of us think that what can I possibly do? What will my voice bring? You can do a whole lot. And it may not necessarily be for somebody in your own family. It may be for somebody in someone else's family. But being willing to do it and to be that power of one. I think it's a wonderful I, place for us, us to stop unless you have one more closing thought. Because we've been going all at this it conversation is, for a I while. Think it's, I think it's a wonderful place too. And so how's this? For everyone who's enjoyed this, I'm going to read the access line number one more time. Good. And that will give everyone who hears this the power to be that one person. You will actually have one single number that you can call on behalf of someone else or yourself. But the point is, you could be that one. And that number is 832-3100. And that's the Hawaii Access Line. There's also a national line, which is 800-273-8255. And uh, so now you've got two numbers that, that you can use to be that one person that saves a life in the, in, in the community that you love and in the circles that you're in. I appreciate Thank this you. so much. Thank you so much for 
making this happen today. Well, thank you, Alex. Thank you so much, Dr. Alex Bivens on Kauai. Thank you very, very much for your time and for all your good thoughts and for encouraging us all to be that one person. Um, it's not necessarily easy to do, but oh, is it rewarding. And for those of you watching us, if you have an idea for a conversation you'd like to hear, or if you have a question, send it in to me. My email address is K-O-Z as in zebra, L-O-V as in Victor, B as in boy, B at sutterhealth.org. And we will look forward to seeing all of you next time for another conversation to take us from anxiety to clarity. I'm Beth Ann Koslovich. See you then.